Welcome back. I'm Alex. This is Dave. What's up, Dave? We're back. We're going to do it off the rip. The winner of estimated profits in a tight race that came down to that last weekend of shows in San Francisco. The winner who participated via email. Yeah. Mr. Jake C. Congratulations, Jake C. We will reach out and be in touch to get your address for the prize pack from different shakedowns and and different stickers that we collected over the over the run here but congratulations to Jake with 38 points winning and uh we just did the math here starting with the first night in Chicago June 9th Wrigley night 1 through the end through last night's show or two nights ago's show 19 straight shows with at least one correct song guest and i think that, that is what vaulted him into into first place yeah ab- well it absolutely is but there's also a streak in there that i remember looking at before i left for san francisco where i think all but one night in like seven shows he went two for two um I, ending with the gorge i think the second night at the gorge i think he only got one and i was like oh that's unusual he's usually been two for two pretty much every night <laughs> Let's, yeah, there's a run from City Field to that night you're talking about in the Gorge. Seven of eight nights, both songs predicted correctly. Yeah, that's crazy. Let's give some shout. Let's give some shout outs to second and third too, because, um, like you said, it was close all summer. Yes, it was. Um, second place was a a Reddit uh, user, someone who Redditor. participated, a Redditor via Reddit, and that would be Monkey and the Engine. Engineer. So congratulations on second place. Yeah, we'll reach we out a- to you too. We'll have a smaller prize pack for you. <laughs> yes. Um, and by the way, all the people that we are mentioning, we can do the, the top five because Alex, you finished with 28 points and these are the people who all scored higher than you and I. Um, yeah. A true tie for third between Ben S. I don't want to give out too much info and last names here but ben s with a tie for third ben, and we tied will, with sorry real quick we will say ben we do know how to pronounce your last name now so thank you for that email <laughs> yes we've uh, received your email and <laughs> we are saying it in our minds yeah um and then a tie with our our twitter user and someone who i think was at the first check-in on the leaderboard was in first place back in june m soma 66 they tied for third with 31 points and then in fifth place, an Instagram user, Josiah Williams. So different different mediums all pop into the top five. We Everyone's email, represented. Right. Email, Reddit, Twitter, Insta. Yeah, it's all there. So congratulations Beautiful. to those five. And uh, congratulations to Jake C on, on winning the whole damn thing. Yeah. If you were in the top five, we'll reach out to all of you um, for the, you know, for Josiah and Matt from Twitter and Ben. We we can only offer to send you some working man's pod stickers, but we're happy to do that if you're interested. Um, for Jake and for Monkey and Engineer, we have for Jake a bigger, real big uh, prize package. Um, and for you, Monkey and Engineer, um, it'll be some working man's pod stickers and, and just a couple little things that we picked up on Shakedown Street. So um, congratulations. Thank you guys for playing along with us all summer. Um, it was so fun guessing 
songs every night. And whether we were right or wrong, we definitely had a, a lot of fun uh, doing it along the way. So Dave, I noticed that um, you didn't say where you finished. Does that mean that I beat you? It does mean that you beat me. Yes. You got 28 points to my 24. Um, you had a, well, we had a, I think a tie for these last three shows, but you, you had a better um, early run. Well, I did. Yeah. Like you, you had a good middle. You were very strong in the middle section because there was a point where you overtook me. And then I remember listening to one of your solo episodes where you were like, I don't want to give Alex a point for this, <laughs> but I feel like I have to, as much as I want to beat him. I feel, I don't remember what show that was about. Well, it's a great segue because the song that that was, was the dark star on the big river jam. And it's a great segue into talking about just, well, we can talk about the tour big picture as well, but in particular, there were some songs on this final tour that either stood out because they were played so well or stood out because they were, you know, new and original, despite um, it being over 50 years since the Grateful Dead got together and started. And so what songs did we get you there. take away? Let's okay. go. Bi- let's go even bigger picture first. And then we'll get we'll get we'll hone down into let's start with big picture tour thoughts. Okay. Then some show specific thoughts, then some song specific thoughts. We'll just keep opening layers of the Russian doll and getting into smaller and smaller, more (laughs) niche things. Tour as a whole, uh, what are your what what are some things that you think about when you think about this tour? Some either some adjectives that come up or some just thoughts that you have. I think that you can do it in one word best. I think this is easily their best tour start to finish. Uh, twenty twenty one definitely stood out back when a couple years ago when that tour was underway i think a lot of people credited the like increased practice time during the pandemic and i think Mm -hmm. it was you that told me a story about like how they would usually play with like friends backstage or guests and they tailored songs to them and that because of the pandemic that wasn't a thing anymore so they were just playing music for the music's sake and 2021 there was kind of a a shift into a better product, but this year I, th- I think it it even it even outdid it uh, when you look at the tour as a whole. Man, I think the addition of Jay Lane helped with that increased tempo and increased energy. And I think what stood out to me was there seemed to be more. They were more loose. Like there was a lot more improv of this tour than I remember. Um, and John Mayer talked about it in a dead air interview. Was that Friday night one in San Francisco Friday? Yeah. Um, how there was this kind of just idea of let's try it. That was kind of the motto. Like anytime somebody had an idea or a tweak or how to, you know, do this transition, the, I, the mentality from he and Bob was just, let's try it. And you know, it's the last time out, so why not give it a shot? I think that mentality really was evident in a lot of their playing. And it, I mean, it paid off like almost every single time. What about you? What are some, some big picture thoughts on your. I really can't put it much better than what you just said. I agree with everything that you said. I think that the influx of energy from Jay was really notable throughout the entire summer. No disrespect to Billy, who I think is an amazing drummer in his own right and obviously deserves a ton, a ton, a ton of credit for what he did, Um, Mm -hmm. both in the Grateful Dead and in Dead and Company for the first seven years of their existence. This wouldn't exist without him. 
But I do think that having a new voice in the mix, so to speak, a new person, a new collaborator, a new co-conspirator, I think that it led to some really interesting new things and just a lot of songs with a really fast tempo. Even we were talking in our last episode about Jack Straw. That's one that starts slow and builds up and gets faster. The place that it built to this tour was just a faster, more energetic place. Not necessarily saying that that's always good or that's always bad, but it is different. And it made it so that this tour had a distinctive sound of its own. They also played really long shows, this tour, especially in the beginning. You know, they were maxing out their window of time. Um, And if I remember correctly, I feel like in years past, they would start at like 7.30 or 8 a lot of the times. And this year it was like 7 p.m. on a, you know, you can set your watch to it. They're starting early and they're getting on stage quick after that like posted showtime comes around. Yeah, there was a run in the middle, like when we started seeing him around Atlanta, where it was like 7-0 number, yeah. like seven six seven eight nine, where they yep. were starting pretty consistently. And then they would play until 11, like until the bitter end. They were It was like they were giving everyone every minute of music that they possibly could knowing this was the last tour. And I think that that what you were saying about like, let's try it. They were just not leaving anything on the field. And so I think that in, and we kind of talked about this a little bit in our last episode when we were starting to kind of do a postmortem and come to terms with our feelings about all this, that is another reason why it's good that this was, you know, billed as the final tour from the beginning, not just for us, but for the band. It gave them kind of creative license and freedom to try whatever they wanted. And way more times than not, it worked out really, really well. So I think that 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 all made for, I agree with you, the best Dead & Company tour so far here in 2023. Um, Okay, so that is kind of high level about the tour. Any other big picture? I'm trying to think if there's anything for me either. Uh, Oh, one thing. So set list wise, there were, they played at least before last night's show, and there were no bust outs yesterday. So 111 songs throughout the tour. A wide variety, you know, songs from every era of Grateful Dead music. And I do feel like maybe they played more songs in years past. Like if you look back at 2022 or one or even like 19, there may have been more songs that they played in a given tour. Um, I'm not sure, but I do feel like we got a good variety. Although there were a couple surprises to me about songs that they played either less than I was expecting or in the case of New Wood Blues, not at all. But we'll get there when we we get there when we talk about songs. So um show wise, 30 shows, 29 shows. 29 you, shows. So excluding well, Cornell. It depends if you yeah. I am yeah. excluding Cornell and looking at it as a tour proper. Yeah. And definitely excluding Jazz Fest. That was only one set. That's that was a standalone. Yeah. So I agree with you. 29 shows over the last just about two months. Almost exactly two months, actually, weirdly, now that I think about it. In any case. I mean, just highlights abound from these shows. But when you think about this tour now from where we sit, are there shows that stand out to you as like ones that you will be quick to go back to, um, you know, as you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's uh, the the easiest. And I think what's always the correct answer is it's the shows you went to are, are the best shows, right? Like the shows that you saw in person are the shows that stick with you. So for me, the the fortune and the opportunity to do that little East Coast run of Atlanta, Charlotte, Raleigh, like back to back to back, that was so great. Um, 
you know, I got to see them back to back at city field in 2022 to end that tour. And that was, that was really cool. And it was neat to see them on consecutive days, but it, it felt cooler going to different well venues and going to different States to see those venues too. I don't know. It made it feel more like a, a trip and a lot of what you, we read about cause we're, we missed that era, but like the era of road tripping with the dead. Right. And the people who go across the country to see every show, you know, I wasn't, I think the furthest we drove was three and a half hours, but it, it still felt like we were kind of connecting to that community of the travel and what makes that so special. Um, so the shows that we went to, I mean, it's tough to be, I, we got to see an all timer second set in Atlanta on my first ever Sunday show. So that was really cool. I got to experience um, what I'll say is a, a, an underrated and not as much talked about show in Charlotte with my significant other and her favorite songs are, are shakedown and fire on the mountain. And they played them both. And that like getting to be with her while that happened was, was great too. And then being with you in Raleigh and, and getting our faces melted off by sugary. I mean, that was, that was excellent too. Um, so the ones that we went to, and then, you know, going to SPAC with my family for my other Sunday show, that was everything about that show from the been hell in the bucket to the best play in that I've seen live was great too. Shows I caught on the couch that stuck out with me, um, Boulder night one, I think that Boulder run is going to be talked about for a while. Um, you know, the Dave Matthews coming out for night three interesting i just thought like the plan was you know it just more my style night one not better not worse just more me mm-hmm. and then the, the two that really stay with me because i think they surprised me that first set of phoenix man the cumberland casey jones set one ender was electric and then that entire deer creek show just out of left field was <laughs> was awesome yeah the attendance bias thing is real you know when you're Oh, yeah. in the, when you're in the barn, it's just extra special to you. And like, I'm thinking about city field last year, Bob's voice was completely gone. I mean, <laughs> you listen back to like the, I think it, it might even been the same date, seven sixteen, something like that, but it was around the same week of time last year. If you go and listen to that second night at city field, Bob's voice sounds horrible. Like it is as bad as you'll hear his voice sounding. He basically didn't have a voice and we did not notice this until the next day like reading people talk about it who had been listening to the live stream. Then we like kind of learned that his voice sounded bad, but we were on such a high being in the barn that we had no clue. So like, that's a perfect example of yeah. like attendance bias being a real thing. Um, do you it was seven sixteen twenty two, by the way, strange anyways. Um, so like the attendance bias thing is real. I agree to me. Like the Atlanta show is a real high point of this tour. I think that the second set was just like undeniable, but even in the first set, there were some real highlights. Um, the deal in on that night, for example, absolutely cooked. And so like that one for me, was a real high point. I'll be curious to learn if, if other people like hold that in as high esteem as one of the top shows of the tour. I think that the first night at Fenway was really, really good. That's like about as psychedelic a show as they played. And that was the first dark star on the big river night i believe so like that kind of in and of itself i think will elevate that to a pretty special place all three nights in san francisco 
I think will be fondly remembered. I could see, you know, it's a different company altogether. It's a LLC of its own dead and company, but if they are going to put out like an official box release of this weekend at San Francisco, I would not be shocked by that. They've put out basically all their shows like officially on the streaming platforms for free in the years past, but we'll see if they change that system for this final tour year. I don't know. But uh, that was a special weekend of music for sure. And then The Gorge too. Those two shows were excellent. Like really just like the last three weeks, once they from Deer Creek on, like once they started doing like these multi-night runs at places. And then as you said, like the Deer Creek show was really special. And then you get three nights at in Boulder, two nights at the Gorge, three nights in San Fran. I think all of those were real standout shows. They just ended on such a high note. And there are more that we're certainly missing along the way, um, other special nights. So don't, you know, take it the wrong way if we didn't mention a show that you went to and you thought was really special, but also, you know, the attendance bias thing, it is real. So um, I don't think there were any bad shows though throughout 2023. Not that there really had been like bad shows in 22 or 21. And I haven't listened to all of 2019, but I also haven't heard any bad shows from that year. I just think that there was more unevenness in those other years. One huge factor in 2022, especially was that like, and I went, saw this in person, there were nights where Billy started the show and Jay ended it. And it's hard for Mm, the band to be like fully in the pocket the whole time when you're literally changing one of the six musicians on stage halfway through the show. (laughs) Like that's challenging this year from the jump. They were all very connected. We would be remiss if we didn't talk about the Cornell show though. I don't think any show on the entire tour reached the highs of that show. To be honest, I think that the Cornell show from 2023 is the best dead and company concert. Um, I said that after the show happened and nothing that's happened since then has made me kind of change my mind about that. It's hard because they've been playing at such a high level every night since. But I was really taking stock of this while I was driving around, you know, between Yosemite and San Francisco and trying to think about knowing that we would be having this conversation. Like, is there a show that has supplanted that in my mind? And I don't think that there has been. And then I kind of teased this in our last episode, talking to people before the show on Saturday night, this guy who had been to, I think at by the end of the weekend, 13 dead and company shows this year. I was like, so what was your favorite one? And he was like, oh man, there have been, I didn't, I don't think I worded it that way. Cause I know that that's kind of a tricky thing to ask someone like your favorite. Um, I think I just said, what are some shows that stand out? And he was like, man, uh, Fenway, both of those shows were amazing. The energy at, um, I think he said Philly, the energy was amazing. And then he was like, but I don't know that Cornell show, like that was just like a different thing altogether. And so hearing someone who had been to a lot this summer and somehow got tickets to that show, which I don't even understand, um, he kind of reiterating that point of like, there was something that night that really was just different. I still think that that was the best Dead & Company show. And for a Minglewood head like you, Dave, the only time they played New Minglewood Blues in 2023 was at that yeah. show. That was yeah. the last time played for New Minglewood Blues to open the show and then it never came back. So kind of a weird one there too, but I mean, that set list was pretty undeniable. Um, so I think that that also kind of informed what came next, but I would want, I'd be curious to hear what the musicians would say. Like if that, that was the second time that they were playing with Jay as like now a full on member of the band, the first two set show that they were playing with him. And I remember hearing in, Mayor's interview in the first night 
of Dead Air, the halftime show, he was like, you know, you never know if like the chemistry is going to be right at the right time in the right place. And like, we knew that this Cornell show was going to be special, but all we could have hoped for was that the chemistry would be right. The sound was going to be right. None of us could make, could know that. And for it to deliver and be as special as it was, was like kind of amazing. And I would be curious to know if they all hold that show in as high an esteem as, as I do. And I think as a lot of people do. So yeah. I don't know, maybe someday we'll learn. Um, I think that <laughs> mayor, I don't know if he said this on Friday's dead air, but he had mentioned in the first one that he would go on tales from the golden road and like sit with David and Gary and talk with the, with callers for a while. I hope they talked, they talked about more like he was teed up to do more of a deep dive in the next coming weeks on, on okay. the grateful dead radio channel. Yeah. Good. Uh, that'll be really cool. And I will be curious to, to hear what callers ask about. Um, but I hope that someone asks about that show in particular. And if there are other shows that stand out in his mind as like, you know, special ones throughout the tour, because there were a lot. Um, okay. Anything else about like show specific stuff before we get into the songs that kind of made the tour? No, let's peel it, peel it down even more. All right. So um, the songs of the tour, first of all, let's kind of get into some stats. Cause I've got them for you, Dave. Um, yes. So the most played, we talked about this a little bit, like the most played, Openers in our last episode, Let the Good Times Roll, and then Bertha, Feel Like a Stranger, and Shakedown were third with three each. Most played set one closers. We had Donnie's Me In six times. Going Down the Road Feeling Bad and Let It Grow both three times, and then a bunch with two. Um, the Going Down the Road Feeling Bad one is the one that stands out to me with the the closers. I guess the Don't Ease a little bit too, because I feel like they played it like once in the first 20 shows and then it was like every other day they were closing set one with it so i don't <laughs> yeah, know if they, they just true. found something with it after they started doing it in philly but that that's one of the only songs maybe in dead and company's history i don't know they played it back-to-back nights like they, they they played it in deer creek and then their next show out was boulder night one and they played it there too Donies? um yeah yeah which is, is really really interesting um and then the going down the road feeling bad really su- it surprised me when we were in Atlanta and that was the set one closer. I don't know. I just kind of always thought of that as a a set two song. End of set two, yeah. And yeah, and it it's not out of place at the end of set one. It's just a nice fun surprise. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, on the Donnie's me in point, they played it six times this year, which is the most they've ever played it in a year by far. The, mm. the two before this were 21 and 22. They played it four times each. And before that, they had only played it a total of nine times in the five years that they were playing um, before that. So they must have really been in a, a don't ease mindset this year because 23 times total played and six of them were this year. So yeah, that's definitely one that they were really feeling. And yeah, it's like a quarter of its total plays, right? Am I yeah. Doing that math, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, the most played uh, set two openers were Help on the Way and Sugary, both four times played, and then they love each other three times. Um, so, I mean, those are songs that they played really well all year, I think especially Sugary. Um, most played set two closers. You had... I guess? Uh, yeah. I know they closed with Morning Dew quite a bit. I'm going to guess that that's like second place. Correct, you are. And then... Either 
either Casey Jones or Sugar Mag is probably number one. Well, no, because they started doing the Sugar Mag Scarlet Sunshine Daydream. I'll guess Casey I'm Jones. I'm going to count that, though. Oh, so you're going to count that. Okay. Sugar Mag Sugar slash Sunshine Daydream is, okay. is the most six. Um, okay. Yeah, Casey knowing Jones, that you that changed my answer. Yeah, so number one was um, Sugar Mag and Sunshine Daydream. They played that six times to close set two. Not Fade Away and Morning Dew, both five each. Um, and then Casey Jones and U.S. Blues, three times each. The most played encore was Ripple, six times. And then Black Muddy River, four times. How about the most played songs of Dead & Co. that were not played on this tour? Number one was New Minglewood. They played it 19 mm. times, including Cornell and Never on this tour. A song that I guessed a bunch in the beginning of Estimated Profits, West LA Fade Away, never came out this yeah, tour. Yeah, they never busted it out. 17 times they played that song. It never showed up. Um, and then the next three are all songs that I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't particularly miss this tour, just being candid. Uh, Hard Rain's going to fall. Bob plays that really well with the Wolf Bros. Let it live in that context. Um, easy Answers, again, another one he plays with Wolf Bros. Yeah. That song's fine. I don't care. Um, and Liberty, same thing. Yeah, <laughs> don't care about not, that song not really missing. at all. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I did not miss it, this tour, frankly. But those were the songs that they have played a lot and didn't play very much this tour. There's another one that I think is there. I saw a couple posts in like some scattershot parts of the internet of people talking about how, um, like yesterday there was a post that got a lot of attention on Reddit that was trying to compare further the band further to this band. And it was like, you know, the set list for further were pretty crazy. Um, and these dead and co shows are more in this person's mind, fan servicey. Well, the ultimate fan service song would be Touch of Grey. And after 2021, when they played it six times, including to open the tour, they only played it four times between last year and this year. They didn't play it at all this last weekend in San Francisco, which is kind of surprising to me. Yeah. They only played it once last year, and they played it three times this year, and then that was it. Um, so that one, that does surprise me a little bit. I would have thought that that song would have come out to play more. But no, um, it was not meant to be. So of the 36 times it was played, only only four in their last two years of touring, which I think is kind of interesting. One that really picked up speed because it was only introduced, it was only busted out last year was um, Dear Mr. Fantasy. They had never played it before 2022 and they played it five times last year and then seven times this year. Wow. Um, so they really started to love playing Dear Mr. Fantasy into Hey Jude, which I welcome with open arms i was really glad to have absolutely that. yeah yeah on the set list um a lot this year um I'm trying to think about other kind of interesting tour bust outs all blues after space or as part of space they did it once last year and once this year that was cool both times um any other tour bust outs not that i can I think mean, of depend depends on how you frame a dark star and big river right love child yeah yeah i mean that's probably the main one Box of Rain, they played not very much as band at all. They played it once last year, though, and they didn't they didn't play that at all this year. Um, that's kind of, I mean, that's really about it. Uh, their most played song, period, like the song that they played the most times, I believe after last night is Althea. Um, maybe Brown Eyed Women still has it pipped. It does. Brown Eyed Women, they played 64 times in their run, and Althea 61. So, uh. Oh, and deal 61. So interesting. Um, 
that those are kind of the top three outside of drums and space. I bet Bertha is up there too. Kind of these, you know, kind of songs that Mayer yeah. made his own are all above, you know, at the top of the the tally. Um, so as far as the songs that this tour you think are like the defining songs of the tour, what do you got? I think the two right answers. I think the Dark Star and the Big River Jam is is the the big one because that's new it's something that, that they tried in fenway and it blew people's minds caused so much controversy controversy with estimated profits my gosh um and then they they kept going back to it like they kept trying it and they kept in my opinion improving it for when they um you know they played it as i don't want to say a dark star substitute but they didn't play dark star in san francisco they played this dark star on the big river jam. Um, so this was something that I think they fell in love with and they tried it. They loved it. And, and then they just kept doing it better and better. So I think that that's number one with this tour. And then the second thing is that it's, it's the 50th anniversary of they love each other and it's not a bust out cause they play this song frequently, but in 2021, they played that, 73 fast style one time the first time that dead and company had ever played it like that and then they played it like something like six times the fast style on this tour they did it spack night one and then they basically every other time they played they love each other they did the fast version so i think that's kind of the the big highlight from at least the second half of this tour is that they went to the 73 version of they love each other and they stuck with the 73 version of they love each other. You are uh, combining two memories in your head. They played the fast version in Raleigh for us. Mm. Yes, but they, they, well, I wasn't at SPAC night one. I was at SPAC night two, but oh, it came out okay. in SPAC night one. I know. Um, Cause so, I, I remember following the set list being like, God damn it. We missed a quick. They love each other. I think that the first night of the tour in LA, they played the fast version too. I'm not sure of that, but I think, I don't know. I do, I do know that you're right. They played this song eight times this tour and more than half were the fast version. And right. the, the Raleigh one might've even technically started as the slower version, but then by the end they were burning down the goddamn house. And so that's why I remember <laughs> it as the faster version. It's hard for me to remember now. I just remember that that version that we saw in Raleigh was like, amazingly good yeah it was so um yeah i mean that that i think you're exactly right i think those are the two big standouts dark star on their big river especially because like that's not just new for dead and company that's just new period for a song that's existed yeah. for almost 60 years to adjust it like that with the that combination is just unreal i think that um that deserves a lot of applause for taking such a big swing. And like you said on the, your episode that came out on Saturday, that was Bob's idea to give it a shot and everyone just kind of jumped on board. So I think that, that mm -hmm. was a really cool one. I also think um, you and I kind of have talked about this before, but I think Casey Jones is a real big standout this tour. Like, yeah. Just not only like no bad versions, but every version that they played, they played it six times. Every single one was like an amazing top shelf version of Casey Jones beginning with that one in Phoenix that I think was like the song for both of us that show we were both like oh my god that was like unbelievable and then 
in Raleigh, same thing. Um, oh, yeah. Amazing. Cincinnati, Fenway. Uh, they played it at the Gorge. They played it Friday night in, in San Fran. They just did not miss with that song this year. So I think that that song also deserves a little shout out. Absolutely. And then, you know, it's it's partner to end set one in Phoenix. Cumberland Blues, man. Yeah. Hot this year. And like you said, with Casey Jones, no bad versions. And just, I remember like as we checked in on these shows, every show with a Cumberland had comments of like, my God, that Cumberland was amazing. Like every show that they played it in, it was talked about as one of the high points or, you know, a top two high point in my opinion, in the Phoenix show. So Cumberland is one that I think pairs with Casey Jones. Um, And then the, the and it was other... Dark Star because they played it around Dark Star a lot. So like it's kind of fitting yeah. that these, you know, you talked about Dark Star and the Dark Star Big River combo as like one of the big highlights. And Cumberland, they played it eight times this tour. And I bet if you looked back like song by song, at least three or four of them were coming out of Dark Star. Um, so yeah, I mean, that song was awesome. Go on, what were you saying though? Well, I was just gonna bring up another two songs. Not that they play together, but just two more that always seem to cook this tour sugary is one that you know just really fine playing on sugary this year and you brought this up a while ago that it's it's like john Mayer knows that the set two preview is free because he always seems to go nuts with the first song of set two and they they opened a lot of set twos with sugary like they to to further your theory it's almost as if Mayer knew and was like all right we gotta put on a show for the people watching at home and then the other song, and I think you could make an argument this challenges Casey Jones and Cumberland as like best song they played every time out. Eyes of the World seemed to reach new heights this year. I know when we saw it, O'Teal had that awesome bass solo at the end that went on yeah. for like four minutes. <laughs> yeah. Uh it seems like every time they played this song, they they found something better and better to include the last show it was it was the highlight of that last show for me yeah he also he had a great bass solo in the cornell version of eyes of the world and i think that that from there he just he unlocked something different with that song another one in that same vein is birdsong they mixed up kind of where that song would fall this year were there any second set bird songs there must have been at some point maybe but they were all like the last or second to last song of set one i think yeah, it was cool that they did that though, because it led to these big jam moments at the end of set one that kind of gave you a taste of what was to come in set two. And they just really delivered with those with every bird song throughout the tour. I thought that that song also was like a real highlight of the summer and that they played that song so, so well. Uh, what about songs that they didn't play very often, but you felt like were standouts when they did? I'll give you an example. They only played Smokestack Lightning twice. And that's not a song where I've I've ever been like, Hey, I'm going to the show tonight, really hoping for a smokestack lightning. <laughs> but both times, um, I think it was at Wrigley and then at the Gorge. Was that the second time they played it or was it at Folsom Field? It was that at Wrigley and then at the first night at Folsom. Both versions were just awesome. And I liked that they were both kind of shorter medley-ish versions. The smokestack at Wrigley came out of trucking and before Althea, they were into it into Althea in no time. It just like felt very tidy and contained. And then the same thing at Folsom. It was like five minutes long, but it didn't feel like it in the moment. It felt really, really tight. 
And I think that was also coming out of trucking, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it was between trucking yeah, and diesel. So. Um, so I just thought that that song deserves a little bit of a shout out. Bob had his growl working both versions. And, uh, I thought that was a really good one that they only played a couple times, but it was really special both times that it came out. Uh, anything in that vein for you from the summer? Yeah, I, I've got a c- couple. One, I don't know that it qualifies as they played very little, but Helena Bucket this year, man. Yeah. Like, in particular, to open the um, the Star Lake show. Yeah. Yeah. And then also in Deer Creek, that post space Hell in a Bucket really stuck with me. I mean, that was insane. And they played it here and there throughout. So it's not like they only did it once or twice. They played it five times. Yep. Um, but I think the only post space that won. And it was it was really, really neat. Um, and then another couple Ico Ico that we saw in Raleigh. That you know, a fun one with a great uh lights show that they didn't play too often. And then um a song that they kind of changed my mind about was Throwing Stones. I always discounted that or as I said to my cousins when it started playing. I was like, oh, I'll feel light because the chord structure I think is somewhat similar, but man, seeing it and SPAC night too, and seeing the energy that they put out with throwing stones. I, I think I said in the episode at the time, I was like, why was this the peak of the show? Can, can someone explain that to me? <laughs> but it was like it, they really crushed it and they didn't play it that often either. So those would be my three to answer that question of like lesser played, but definitely not lesser enjoyed. Yeah, man, there were a lot. Honestly, only one version of Dear Prudence that was in Bristow. That was awesome. Direwolf, they didn't play too, too much this tour. I mean, maybe what, two or three times probably. Um, there were a bunch to me where it was like, uh, this one didn't come out all too often, but when it did show up, it was just delightful. Um, another one was Comes a Time. O'Teal only sang mm-hmm. that one, I think, once that I can remember. I think just that Fenway show. And that's a beautiful song and he sings it so well. I'm actually looking at the stats post COVID before COVID they had played it 12 times. And then since then they played it once in 2021 and once in 2023. And that was it. I wish they would have let O'Teal sing wow. that a little bit more, Yeah, but you know, what can you do? All right. Well, do you have any other thoughts before we wrap this thing up? No. Well, then let's let's talk a little bit about what's to come. So we were talking about this earlier today. We'll probably do another one last episode about the Dead & Company experience. We may have a special guest for that. We'll get there, but it won't be for another month or two. We, we're going to let it breathe and let it simmer for a little while. This is kind of a companion episode to the one that we released yesterday about the weekend in San Francisco because we got a lot of our thoughts and emotions out um, during that one. But yeah, I mean, it's a definitely crazy. It's a bittersweet ending. I am glad that we got this level of closure and that we knew it was coming and that the band delivered so mightily to close the tour. Really just cannot say enough about what a great job they did this last this last year. Yeah. The other thing this episode d- does, it, it gets us back on track, gets us back on that Tuesday release schedule, which if you are, are new to the program or learned of this program from the dead and company episodes um this is a a tuesday release show so this episode also you know while it says goodbye to one chapter it gets us back on track for the other that's true so 
Um, yeah, that's what I was about to say. So good job, Dave. Uh, nice transition by you. Kind of like <laughs> the band transitions this weekend, just very tight and tidy, right on point. Thank you. So I think Dave and I talked about this before now, but we're going to take a little bit of a hiatus of our own. We did the same last summer. It's good to get a little bit of a break and to kind of recharge our batteries. And then we get to have a fresh view, fresh ears when we come back to listening to shows and talking about shows in the fall. But we don't want to go out of your feed altogether. So we're going to re-release a couple of our favorite shows, uh, some WP's picks with um, some fresh intros over the next couple months to kind of keep things coming, keep some content in your feed from us. And then we will also be back. There's well due. I mean, maybe even this Wednesday, sometime this week, I would expect we're going to get the announcement for the next Dave's Picks episode. So that'll be coming soon. And then that episode, that uh, release will come at the end of the month. Um, so we'll be back to talk about that for sure. But other than that, we're going to take a little bit of a break, probably a month and change before we come back uh, with with Gusto. We have some quarterly releases. Every quarter we do one album review, one studio release. And um, we are due for one of those at some point in the next couple months. Uh, we have our, like I said, Dave's Picks release coming in the beginning of August probably. And then we have some reunions still to talk about. We ventured at the beginning of the year to do one episode about a show that's either on its fifth or zero year uh, anniversary. So that would be from 1993, which we've already done, 88, 83, 78, 73, and 68. We've covered a lot of those so far, but we still do need to cover a show from, I believe, 88. Both 80s years, right? Yeah. We've got some lined up. Uh, There's a Lake Placid 83, I think, show in October. And there's an 88 show that we have lined up too. They're on our calendar. We just haven't gotten to them yet. So that'll be coming in the fall. And I mean, that's really a lot of what we've got to come. So this kind of, this chapter, this little detour of the summer into Dead and Company is just about at its conclusion. Again, there might be one more in a little while, but yeah, that's about it. So exciting things to come from us, but not exactly so much new content. Um, probably until the beginning of September, maybe. Um, and then we'll we'll get back on track with that stuff. Anything else to add for you, Dave, before we bid these good people adieu? Yeah. Do we bid them good night or do we tell them that our love will not fade away? What do we do here? <laughs> do we stack both samples on top of each other? No, I'm we're going to tell them that our love will not fade away. I mean, that's how we got to wrap this thing up, send it home. So with nothing else from Dave, nothing else from me, I will just tell you, Goodbye and thank you and know our love will not fade away. Mm-hmm.